Today on the Jay Doherty Podcast, a continued analysis of local and national policy efforts put forth with the attempt to limit gun violence. Also, a refreshed look at the 2020 presidential race now that candidates have had the chance to accentuate their policy and hedge attacks upon their opponents after the debates. Finally, a member of the so-called squad goes independent. Why and how? All of that and more on episode number 97 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. This is the Jay Doherty Podcast. And now, broadcasting live from downtown Chicago, here's your host, Jay Doherty. That is correct, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us for episode number 97 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. It is Wednesday, August 7th, 2019 at 2.07 p.m. We're broadcasting live. Following multiple breaking stories, we had some technical difficulties in the beginning. We think we got them all resolved uh, with the live stream. Thank you, everyone, for who is listening live. As I talked about, we are uh, following several breaking stories, which we'll get to in a second. But uh, overall today, we are going to be t- discussing uh, the uh, local and national policy and laws that are trying to be put forward, or at least being proposed to be put forward, to combat the recent surge of mass, mass shootings in uh, El Paso, Dayton, and also Chicago, Chicago not being talked about a, a lot, even according to the president's daughter. And we'll talk about the significance of that. Also, we're going to be uh, revisiting 2020. That's kind of been overlooked recently. Uh, it's, it's getting back in the news, uh, you know, with responses. But uh, there's been a lot of sad news that has been uh, more prevalent uh, since about Sunday. And now it's Wednesday, so people are kind of, you know, uh, and I say that kind of sarcastically because uh, the news moves so quickly. You know, there's two mass shootings, more than, you know, 40 people dead, and... Um, the news, the, the story's already different, uh, so it just shows how fast the world uh, moves, and then also we'll talk about the squad, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Presley, uh, Rashida Tlaib, and Ilhan Omar, one of them has gone rogue, can you guess which one? We'll talk about what that means, and who it is, and how they did it, and that's all coming up next on the podcast. The breaking story we're following, though, is the USA Today building, uh, the headquarters, or at least a building within their uh, you know, network, has been evacuated after a report of a man with a weapon. We're still learning facts as they become available but Edwin Rosler Jr. said in, uh, on Wednesday today that authorities had received an 911 call that an ex-employee was in the building with a weapon. Um, they said that they were seeking a person, a single person. They didn't say anything about the identity. They just warned that you should stay out of the area. Um, and uh, there's actually been some uh, producers uh, for USA Today, for example, Casey Moore. She said that, fingers crossed, this is just a false alarm. She was, I believe, one of the people that uh, were evacuated, but uh, we don't know much uh, about this, but as details become available into uh, this fine uh, establishment, we will be able to let you know on the Jay Doherty podcast. So, that's just another potential mass shooting. There's been a recent uproar of them. Uh, and that's what I want to talk about. What is the policy? What are people actually trying to do um, to keep to to prevent these mass shootings from happening in the future? Well, Mitch McConnell is actually at the head of this. He's basically the head of the Republicans uh, congressionally. Um, 
So there's a 200 member. So, okay, first of all, here's some context. The House right now, uh, the Congress is in recess right now. So uh, it's unprecedented for many times, unless there's some huge national crisis, like a bomb went off or something like that, or, you know, uh, there's a nuclear attack. It's very rare for Congress to come out of recess uh, and and come back um, to work on something. But 200 House members, who are all happy to be Democrats, have written a letter to Mitch McConnell, which reads, quote, We strongly urge you to take the immediate action to call the Senate back into the session to pass House Resolution 8, the Bipartisan Background Checks Act and House Resolution 1112, the Enhanced Background Checks Act. And here's the important part. In February, the new Democratic House majority took swift action to pass these bipartisan bills, which not only save lives, but also have the support of more than 90% of the American people. Since that time, you have allowed more than 150 days uh, to pass and countless lives to have been lost, in, uh, lost, including those most recently in Gilroy, California, El Paso, Texas, Dayton, Ohio, Chicago, Illinois, and the many uh, others who will never make the headlines. This inaction must stop. We know background checks save lives. It goes on to say, again, we urge you to follow the leadership of the House Democratic majority and immediately come back to session to pass the House Resolution 8, the Bipartisan Background Checks Act, and uh, House Resolution 1112, the Enhanced Background Checks Act that could prevent dangerous criminals from obtaining weapons and save lives. Thank you for your prompt attention to this matter and great ur- matter of great urgency to the American people. Um... So pleasantries at the end. I don't know why they said prompt attention. That's kind of contradicting themselves because they said this inaction must stop. So I think you have to be uh, intelligent in the way you speak in pleasantries, especially when it's documented publicly like this, because um, you can be manipulative and you can say things that are still true in a pleasant manner, but not contradict previous things. Now, that's just a little small thing, but I think it's small things make politics, they make and break political campaigns, and that's, and really just in life, small things are always make the, uh, the, the big uh, difference. So, that's what's happening uh, right here and now within, um, within this gun battle. Uh, President Trump, though, left earlier today to go to uh, Dayton, Ohio, uh, and, um, they're also going to be in El Paso, Texas later on. This is what it sounded like when they got on the plane. We had a live feed coming in from, uh, Andrews Air Force Base. They're going to visit, uh, Miami Valley Hospital in Dayton, Ohio. They're going to see, uh, first responders and hospital staff, uh, and also the victims and, of course, their families. So, they're now going to travel to El Paso, Texas. Of course, as Ben Shapiro says, I think it was Ben Shapiro... He said, uh, for some reason, the president can get anywhere so fast. It almost seems like it's too fast. Uh, His plane travels so quickly, and I don't know if that just seems like that or time goes faster when you're not on a plane, but that's what he said. I agree, because there are a lot of protesters out there that lined up uh, probably about three hours ago to greet the president. Um, they said, welcome to Toledo. Those were some of their signs, um, because the reason he sa- they said that is, of course, because Trump accidentally referred to Dayton as Toledo during his remarks condemning the mass shooters. He said, quote, may God bless the memory of those who per- perished in Toledo, and may God protect them. He also said, may God protect all of those from Texas to Ohio. May God bless the victims uh, and their families. May God bless America. So that's what he said uh, there. 
But there's also Trump supporters at this. Very rare to see these uh, around these types of events. Um, there was a big sign that said, Keep America Great. Uh, everyone uh, just kind of you know, jumped on this protester, not physically, but they just attacked him verbally, saying, what the heck are you doing here? You're clearly a misfit uh, in this, pine, in this, you know, uh, setting here. So, that's what's happening now. Uh, they're speaking with patients. They could have left already. They might be on their way to El Paso. We'll bring you up to date on that. My interest, though, is what's happening in terms of policy. Well, of course, 2020 candidates have taken this uh, and and made it a political point to kind of more uh, purposefully speak about this. But um, according to CNN, Trump is looking at ways to tighten up background checks through some sort of executive action. Uh, so Kellyanne Conway, um, the person who's kind of been the point person on all of this, as she has many major crises, said in an interview with Fox News that, quote, the president stands ready to act, and also said that he's going that he spoke with um, Republican Senator Pat Toomey and Democratic Senator Joe Manchin about the background check legislation. She goes on to say that Trump is quote willing to do uh, things that keep the guns out of the hands of the wrong people without uh, abrogating sorry the rights of citizens to have weapons. That's kind of the goal here, right? That is the goal. Now, Biden, of course, and other presidential candidates are trying to distract from the policy of what Trump is doing and more so say, uh, you know, attack what he's done in the past. Right now, he's in Burlington, Iowa, um, who, where he's giving a campaign speech. He said, quote, How far is it from Trump to saying this is an invasion to the shooter in the El Paso declaring this attack is a response to the Hispanic invasion of Texas? How far apart are these comments? How far is it from white supremacists and neo-Nazis in Charlottesville? Trump's very fine people chanting, quote, You will replace us to the shooter at the Tree of Life synagogue in Pittsburgh saying, quote, We are committing genocide. Jews are committing genocide on his people. I don't think that is fair at all. Again, that's a complete quote from Joe Biden referencing Trump's language. He also said, and this is the big kicker in the headline, the soundbite, all that stuff, this president has fanned the flames of white supremacy in this nation. That's what his people probably told him to say. I mean, now that I'm not saying that it's true, he said that. I mean, you know, that, that is true in my opinion. Uh, but he, he's good at soundbites. He understands how, Paul, how you know, the media is going to cover it, how they're going to play it tonight on the nightly news, and how they're going to, you know, make his perspective existent. They like sound bites. The media likes sound bites. Makes their job easier. He recognizes that. He's been the vice president. He knows all that stuff. There's an El Paso memorial going on. Uh, we have some live uh, coverage going in here. Uh, a lot of protests that are being greeted, uh, that the president's being greeted upon. A lot of anti white supremacy signs and things like that. Um, so, that's what's happening right now. I'm going to see if we have any updates on this USA Today uh, shooter or potential shooter. Uh, nope, just looks like so there's some more tweets. Uh, for example, a podcast producer by the name of Taylor Maycan said, quote, I never expected to be on the receiving end of a call from my parents, breathless and panicked and completely terrified, asking if I'm alive and okay, and I never want to be there again. Um, those are just some more, that's some more, uh, information reaction from the people within the building, um, 
no more uh, information, at least that I can see right now, that suggests that there is or is not a shooter in the building. There's no confirmation or lack of confirmation that states otherwise. Uh, We'll continue to update you as the podcast goes on. We are broadcasting live. It is 2.18 p.m. on the Jay Doherty podcast. We're going to move on now to, let's see, we're going to move on to 2020. A uh, very interesting uh, reaction to many things, especially uh, within Trump's uh, recent formal condemning of white supremacy, something that he's taken way too long to actually confront at all. Talk about how Beto O'Rourke, Kamala Harris, and so many other candidates are responding to this. That's next on the Jay Doherty Podcast. All right, so uh, Kamala Harris has gotten cocky, very cocky, actually. She did an interview uh, after, immediately after the debate with Anderson Cooper, uh, and she was asked by Anderson Cooper something that was actually, in my opinion, pretty legitimate. Did you expect that uh, from Tulsi Gabbard? Uh, had, had you had interaction about that in the past? And how do you think it went? This is going to sound immodest, but I'm obviously a top-tier candidate, and so I did expect that I would be on the stage and take hits tonight because there are a lot of people that are trying to make the stage for the next debate. Yeah, for a lot of them, it's do or die. Well, yeah, and especially when people are at zero or one percent or whatever she might be at. She's not incorrect, Kamala Harris being. She's, of course, referencing Tulsi Gabbard, someone who attacked her quite viciously in the last debates about her record as Attorney General, and among other things, we had full coverage of that on episode number 95 of the Jay Doherty Podcast, which you can find at jdstory.com slash jdpodcast. But, why would she say that? Trump made the same mistakes in his debates, only he said it on the stage and not in an interview. So, and, I mean, Trump did it obviously worse and, and did it so much more blatantly than Kamala Harris. I mean, Trump would literally, they asked him a question, for example, in a GOP debate hosted by CNN in the initial days uh, of, of the campaign. Rand Paul was on the far end of the stage, uh, and they asked him a, po- a question about his temperament and uh, how he would deal with nuclear weapons and things like that. So the anchors ask him a question about nuclear weapons nuclear proliferation and the temperament that is required to deal with those with things like that. This is how Donald Trump responds, of course. First of all, Rand Paul shouldn't even be on this stage. He's so. number 11. He's got 1% in the polls. And how he got up here, there's far too many people. Anyway. So that's his response to a question about nuclear weapons. Rand Paul is on this stage. There's too many people. I don't know. Anyway, let's go on. That's And I'm quoting him. I'm not saying anyway, let's go on as a separate se- uh, segment as a non-sequitur, perhaps, but Rand Paul thinks it's a non-sequitur because he came back with a couple seconds later uh, after Trump went on his uh, partial ramble saying that it was a non-sequitur. I kind of have to laugh when I think, of, hmm, sounds like a non-sequitur. He was asked whether or not he would be capable and it would be in good hands to be in charge of the nuclear weapons and all of a sudden there's a sideways attack at me. His visceral response to attack people on their appearance, Short, tall, fat, ugly. Here comes Trump with an attack. That happened in junior high. Are we not way above that? And would we not all be worried to have someone like that in charge of the nuclear arsenal? Here we go. I never attacked him on his look. And believe me, there's plenty of subject matter right there. That was in the beginning of the debate, probably not even 10 minutes into the debate. That's what Trump said. 
And I'm just comparing that to Kamala Harris. I know I'm bringing up I'm bringing up uh, old news there, but that's what he did. That's what happened uh, in his debate. And Kamala Harris just making the same mistakes, not to the degree of which Trump did, arguably, because um, Kamala Harris did this two different ways. She it was not during the debate, and she was prompted to uh, answer that question. So I don't think it's a failure on Kamala Harris's part. I just think she was way too uh, blatant in the way she you know she spoke about it. You can you could be uh, humble, uh, modest, and also somewhat braggadocious stating the facts, but saying the way, you know, oh, well, I'm a top-tier candidate, so I knew I was going to be hit tonight. Well, you know, you don't see Joe Biden out there saying that, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. No, you, like, you know, it's not about top-tier candidates, it's about serving the American people. Now, I know that's, like, a bad argument, and I know that's what everyone wants to hear, but at the end of the day, it's better to hear that than hear, um, like, what Kamala Harris just said. So, that's just my opinion. You know the other candidate that Trump uh, hates a lot? Next to Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, and Bernie Sanders, uh, is Beto O'Rourke. Beto also hates Trump. He's in El Paso, of course, the place he used to represent in the Congress. And, um, yeah, they hate each other. Beto O'Rourke uh, kind of just lashed out on Trump in an interview with Chris Cuomo on CNN, who was in El Paso for coverage of the attacks, where Beto said this. This is the most racist president we've had since perhaps Andrew Johnson in, in another age and another century. And, and he is responsible for the hatred and the violence that we're seeing right now. So remember I said that they both hate each other? Trump responded to uh, those attacks that, just, that you just heard, saying Beto, in parentheses, phony name to indicate Hispanic heritage, O'Rourke, who was embarrassed by my last visit to the great state of Texas where I uh, trounced him, trounced him, sorry, and is now even more embarrassed by polling at 1% in the Democratic pi- primary, should respect, should, sorry, should respect the victims and law enforcement. Um, that's just part of the tweet, but that's what he said. So, uh, of course, it's funny how he references polls when he likes them and dismisses them when he doesn't. Um, uh, you know, he said that his polls are fake news. Even he said Fox News's polls were fake. But then he says in this tweet, um, Beto is more is quote more embarrassed by polling at one percent in the Democratic primary. Very very interesting there, uh, Mr. Trump. Um, and he is not. I think the the in my opinion. Uh, the the real zinger here, the real thing to pay attention is how he says that Beto is a phony name to indicate Hispanic heritage. I actually kind of agree with that. Um, I, I think he's probably overstating it, but his real name is Robert Francis Beto O'Rourke. It's, a, it's even a nickname, I believe. I, I mean, his, his uh, according to uh, his birth certificate, which we, thank God, President Trump, we know that he has a birth certificate, Robert Francis O'Rourke is his full name. He's an American politician who uh, has served 16th Congressional District in Illinois, in the House of Representatives, not in Illinois, sorry, in, in Texas, in the House of Representatives from 2013 to 2019. Of course, he is currently running for presidency in the nomination for 2020. So they hate each other. O'Rourke and Trump hate each other. And, um, you know, we're going to see a lot of more of this, but... I think these attacks on uh, O'Rourke, the back and forth, I think Trump is actually wasting his time. As I've said before, I think Beto O'Rourke is the worst candidate by far in this whole race. That's my opinion. That is just my opinion. Don't come after me. I'm just saying that Beto O'Rourke is not a prize whatsoever. Uh, what Were the attacks that um, they both exchanged mutually deserved? No, I don't think so. I think there's a lot of 
better ways to combat it, and I think there's better ways for Beto and Trump, of course, especially Trump, to combat this, but I'm just saying that Beto O'Rourke has shown no intellect on policy, he is good at giving speeches, I suppose, but he tries too hard, it's just kind of, he was, he set such a high expectation and let everyone down. There's so many good candidates. Uh, I mean, even if they're not prizes, I don't think many of them are electable. In fact, very few of them are electable, but there are a lot of smart people up there. In my opinion, he is not one of them. It's the Jade Rorty Podcast, episode number 97, 2.27 p.m., Wednesday, August 7th. Every time we change topics, I just want to check in with this USA Today building that's been evacuated after a report uh, with, of a man with a weapon. Looks like there are no other reports, although uh, what we do know is that Gannett, which is the company, and I, don't, I might be pronouncing that incorrectly, um, that's the company that owns USA Today. Um, their uh, offices are in McLean. They handle the newsroom operations and corporate functions like marketing and circulation. The company is the country's biggest newspaper publisher by circulation with USA Today and dozens of smaller papers. That is where it is. It's just right near uh, Virginia and Washington on the border, uh, monitoring situations there. We have CNN, NBC News, and the Washington Post all reporting there. We're getting live updates from their newsrooms as well. This is the Jay Doherty Podcast, episode number 97. We're going to move on now to the squad. We'll revisit them and then wend and maybe make it a special kind of shorter episode because I feel like I've gotten through an hour's worth of content in just 21 minutes and 6 seconds. It's all next on the Jay Doherty Podcast. All right, so the squad, the squad, a member of the squad. You may know her. Her name is Ayanna Presley. Uh, she's very progressive, but she has spent most of her career pushing for change from within the establishment and not shaking it up from the outside. That's according to a fabulous political uh, article by Joanna Weiss. Uh, She's the editor of an experience magazine. She's also a writer in Boston. She has been following this stuff uh, within, uh, you know, the squad and, and especially reporting on the very liberal progressive side of Congress these days. She writes, the social media reaction was swift and loud, a mix of gratitude and vitriol, but this time the fury came not from the right, but from the left. The squad is three now. Someone wrote on Twitter, uh, that, that's, the squad is three now, that's the quote that she said someone wrote on Twitter, and much of the anger, uh, directed at Ayanna Presley followed that logic, a sense of betrayal, uh, marbled with surprise, as in how could you not be exactly what you thought, what we thought you were? Couldn't have said it better myself. Obviously, I could have spoken better in that sentence, but it was written very well. Um, Ayanna Presley is just one of the four members of um, uh, the squad, or perhaps or was one of the four members of the squad, according to Ms. Weiss. Uh, but um, the four members of the squad are, of course, uh, Ms. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from New York. Uh, Ayanna Presley... Uh, and she represents here, I always forget their, um, I always forget their, where, who they represent, I know, I know the states, I just don't know the districts, and I would want to, uh, let's just see here, do I not have their information? Yes, I do. Uh, so it's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from New York, the 14th district, that's part of Bronx and close to the Queens, Ilhan Omer, the 5th district of Minnesota, Rashida Tlaib, 13th district of Michigan, and Ayanna Presley, the 7th district of Massachusetts. Ayanna Presley might be gone from this squad, and the only reason is actually because of a vote. For the first time, 
policy is actually making news rather than rhetoric on both sides. Very interesting. I say that very condescendingly and actually a little bit sarcastically because it is really annoying to see all of Trump's rhetoric make the front lines, but then his policy, which is traditional moderate conservative and actually very far right-leaning policy in many cases, not always, but be implemented, and then his rhetoric make the headlines. Not that it doesn't matter, I'm just saying that there's a lot of good and bad things both sides do, and I think because it's so much easier to understand the rhetoric that that's being over, um, that, that the uh, policy is being overridden by the rhetoric. So, there, uh, the matter in question was a resolution opposing a Palestinian-led movement to boycott Israel, okay? This, this is obviously a huge issue that both Democrats and Republicans are divided on, as we've talked about in previous episodes, and as I've talked about in the other podcast I do, the JDRC Politics Podcast, uh, with my friend Ryan Clark. We're actually recording an episode tomorrow. I recommend you check it out, jdrcpolitics.com. This move, very, very important. It's split upon very, very decisively. Benjamin Netanyahu has received an incredible amount of support by President Trump, by uh, the you know the Jewish people have been re- very receptive generally uh, to President Trump in 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 Israel um, and um, you know Palestine and Israel. This has been an issue that has divided so many, and the United States is obviously getting involved in this. Uh, the measure passed the House uh, overwhelmingly on the 23rd of July, of course. Uh, among the 17 no votes were three members of the squad, of course. Uh, that is Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, and Rashida Tlaib. Ayanna Presley broke from the squad and voted yes. So that one yes vote, that one vote that could cost her her whole political career, at least the political career associated with the fame-winning uh, and uh, hungry politically hungry and uh, kind of victory lurching for congresswomen from the squad. Now it might be three. It might be the trio, not the squad anymore. You know, I, I'm pretty sure if uh, one of these people didn't exist, it would be, it would have been called the trio rather than the squad. Maybe, it, maybe it's going to be downgraded to the trio. Who knows? Or maybe it'll work in reverse, and Ayanna Presley will uh, be more famous as a result of leaving, because the the real headliners in all this whole thing was Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar. Regardless, none of them matter. They're, they have very junior positions. No, no, I'm not saying none of them matter. I'm just saying they're equivocal, you know, they're equal to every single other person uh, in in the, you know, House of Representatives, except for, the, of course, the Speaker, and, you know, unless... They they just get more TV time. That's just the simple fact about it. They're they're activists and they make good television. Ina Presley has been a compelling political figure for a decade. Miss White writes, constituents and longtime associates weren't at all surprised by her vote. I wasn't surprised by her vote. If you literally look at her legislative background and her past votes, she has a very um. Uh, kind of consistent, very persistent track record, uh, at least from, in my opinion, what she uh, has done. Now, of course, she's very progressive, but, uh, and she stood up there with the uh, members of the squad and uh, talked about all this stuff, but Ayanna Presley, this this vote was not surprising, in my very humble uh, opinion. She signs off on a lot of bills, of course, uh, and to be honest, she's actually done a little bit more, at least been more persistent and educated from my, in my opinion, at least in terms of legislature and policy approvals, than many, than uh, arguably Ilhan Omar and um, 
Rashida Tlaib. And probably, maybe not, I don't know, I have to look more into it, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So you really have to think about this logically and understand that policy, even though rhetoric makes the news, policy is the real thing that shapes America. And that's, that's what you feel on a day-to-day basis, even though you may be more inclined to react to the rhetoric. It's just human nature, but that's how it works. That's my perspective on that. Uh, fabulous article in Politico. We'll have it linked on the website, j-dory.com. The title of the article is A Member of the Squad Goes Rogue. It's by Joanna Weiss. She's a writer in Boston and the editor of Experience Magazine. I highly recommend you read the entire thing. It's a very, very good article. I think it's on the front page of, the, of Politico right now. could be wrong. Maybe by the time you see it, you know, news moves so fast, you never really know. It's the Jay Podcast, episode number 97, about 30 minutes into the podcast, a little bit less. 2.36 p.m. on Wednesday, August 7, 2019. I realize I'm now closing out with the same music I closed out with yesterday. Uh, I apologize for that uh, quite sincerely. Perhaps I will be able to access my SQL server over here and pull some more desirable audio from my multi-track folder. I'm talking a lot about behind the scenes right now, and if you want to learn more about behind the scenes uh, right now or anytime, listen to episode number 100 of the Jay Doherty podcast, which will air live this Saturday, and you can learn about my uh, process in how I make these episodes, the behind the scenes, all that stuff. I'll be doing a live Q&A about whatever you want. It doesn't have to be about behind the scenes, but whatever you want. Uh, and we're going to be taking live questions. 312-625-8492 is the number. You can call or text your questions in. I'm going to fade this song out and then bring in this song right here. It's called Turtle Beach by Jabase. And I guess I've used this, but it's not as recent as the other one. So hopefully it's a little bit more desirable for your ears. We're going to try and end this episode right at 30 minute mark. I read somewhere that the average commute time in America is 37 minutes. So you have seven extra minutes to... Ponder in silence instead of listening to my voice in your car, if that's where you listen to it, assuming you listen in your car. Yeah, that's just all I have to say. I'm stalling for time here. It's 29 minutes, 47 seconds. Thank you for listening to the Jade Doherty Podcast. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about the latest news, technology, and more on episode number 98. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.